Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast, episode 23, Going Gradeless. Today's episode, I'm bringing on a guest who has practiced going gradeless. Many uh, educators across the country have heard of standards-based grading, but I feel like not many educators have heard of completely doing away with almost all grades. And I am interviewing a expert in this because he's practiced this for many years and has gone through the process of doing so um, from standards-based grading to going gradeless. And he's written a book on it um, with Corwin, which he'll talk a little bit more about as we get started. And his name is David Frangiosa. Is that, I hope I pronounced that correctly. I know it's Italian. Yeah, it's close. Frangiosa. Friend Joseph, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, just a little bit about you is that um, you're a science teacher and a baseball coach from Northern New Jersey. You're entering your 16th year teaching, and um, six plus years you've been doing action research on grade reform, and that led you to your book, which I alluded to um, when you co-authored "Going Gradeless" with Corwin. And you're a blogger and a contributor to School Rubric and uh, been producing the podcast from Earning to Learning since March 2021. So really interesting background. Um, so let's have you elaborate a little bit more about that. So talk to me a little bit about your context in education. Um, have you been in the same position for the last uh, 16 years? And just talk about um, how you've been navigating um, the past like 15, 16 months. Sure. So, um, like you said, I'm a high school science teacher. Uh, this is actually my third district. So I moved around a little bit and part of that was the frustration around grading that actually led to the changes that I made in the classroom. I've taught every level of high school science, biology, chemistry, um, majority physics and, you know, just different electives. And, you know, I kept seeing like similar things, um, you know, just um, students not living up to the potential that I knew that they had. And that frustration at, at first, I blamed it on the students, um, you know, which obviously was wrong. Uh, and I, I understand that in hindsight. And each time I moved to a different district, I was seeing similar things. And that led to um, kind of doing away with grades, starting with standards-based grading and then moving to um, a gradeless model. Um, and I've been doing that for uh, the past six years. So I've been in the district that I'm currently in. Um, I just finished my ninth year. So it was shortly after I arrived at that district that I realized that, hey, wait, this isn't a specific set of students. This isn't a, a district because I was in three very different districts with three very different demographics and I was seeing the same things. Um, and that's kind of what led me to, um, you know, that, that action research. Yeah, no, certainly. And I'm sure, you know, if you see a pattern going across three different districts and different groups of students, different community, et cetera, I mean, I'm sure that that is a good sample of what you see in probably most places um, around the country. Um, was one things that you saw with students is they were more focused on their grade versus actually the learning. They were like, hey, I want to get these points so I can get this grade so that I can, you know, go to college or 
um, just not have um, people um, just continuing to ask me about, oh, what's your grade, you know, in order for me to pass, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was every conversation I had was centered around what do I need to do to get as opposed to learning set, so, you know, where are my strengths? Where are my areas of opportunity? I really don't understand this specific thing. Those weren't the conversations that I had prior to shifting to this model, but those are the conversations that I have now. So we've completely decentered the grade to where, um, you know, for my students, it's not even a thought anymore. We don't talk about that until we get closer to the end of the year. You know, we, we start with grade goals and we start with, um, you know, non-grade learning goals. And just to make sure that, um, you know, I'm keeping them on track and, um, you know, making sure that, you know, I can coach them in the way that they need to be coached in order for them to meet with success that they defined. Exactly. And I want to, before we get further in this conversation, to differentiate between standards-based grading and going grade list because I know that um, standards-based grading has become much more prevalent uh, across North America, but the idea of going grade list is, I believe, a relatively new phenomenon over the last decade. So I just want you to differentiate those two concepts so that our listeners know about the differences. Sure. And whenever we're talking about um, grading or assessment, we have to talk about the type of feedback. And so feedback generally falls into two categories. It's either evaluative or descriptive. And when you talk about evaluative, that's a judgment on the quality of the work. And, um, you know, traditional grading, you'll see that in percentages, you'll see it um, in letter grades, um, even when you're marking a paper, like an X or uh, a check, um, even statements like good job. Because if you write good job on the paper, the next time you don't write good job, uh, the student says, well, I guess I didn't do a good job. So it's still an evaluative um, type of feedback. So when we talk about going gradeless, we're eliminating all of that evaluative feedback during the learning process. And so we go more towards descriptive feedback. And what that means is, okay, this is what was done in the work. Here are the one or two things you can add to the work to improve it the next time. So it's not good job. It's, you know, um, so uh, let's just use, um, I'm a science teacher. So if, if we're constructing um, a, a scientific explanation uh, or writing a, a conclusion for a lab. So, you know, okay, great. Um, you know, the, the conclusion is written the next time you write a conclusion. Um, if you included evidence that was collected from the lab that you, um, you know, from, from the investigation that you performed, it would make the conclusion stronger. So it's not about good job. It's about, okay, here's what was done. Here's how this work could be better next time. Right. Yeah. And so there's no percentage, there's no grade. It's just, it's all about the work and how the work could be improved. Yeah, no. So it's about um, giving that high quality um, epistemic feedback to the, the student that is descriptive and being very specific. So now, and people who practice standards-based grading, I know they do that. People who practice traditional grading, I know they do that as well. The 
The challenge becomes anytime you mix descriptive feedback with evaluative feedback, the descriptive feedback is ignored. Yep. And so, uh, and we know that from Ruth Butler and, you know, all the other studies that have been done and replicated over the years. So like, you know, that, that's not my opinion that that's educational research that's been done, that's been replicated. Um, so with standards-based grading there, the proficiency scales, um, they're still evaluating the quality of the work rather as well as saying, okay, here's where you fall on this proficiency scale. Here's how well you did. Here's your, the judgment of you. And now here are the things that you need to do to improve it. All right. So um, they're combining both that descriptive and evaluative in standards-based grading, where in the gradeless model, we're eliminating that evaluative feedback and we're just focusing on here's how the work can be improved. All right. No, yeah, definitely. And I've read a lot of research on the notion of, I think going gradeless is essentially delayed grading research taken to that fullest extent. So you basically delay the subject uh, subjectivity of the grade until the very last piece of the class, maybe after that final reflection or that after that final um, discussion between the teacher and the student is then the grade determined and throughout the entire semester, it's more of that descriptive feedback that's given all the way until that very end point. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, like, and I've said this numerous times, if we're being honest, I don't care what system you're in, you're grading, right? So at some point you have to grade, whether it's pass fail, whether it's, you know, distinguishing between advanced credit or foundational credit, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter what it is. You're, if there's a standard that you're judging a student against to determine whether they've met that or not, at some point you will be grading. So nobody's ever truly gradeless, but you hit the nail on the head. We're delaying that grade until the end of the year. So yeah. we have 10 months of learning and development before we put, um, you know, that, um, you know, that summative evaluation on it. Yeah, no, definitely. So let's now, we got that, we defined that term and kind of differentiated between standards-based grading and going gradeless. So now let's talk about how do you do it? So if I'm a teacher right now and I want to start going gradeless, um, what would you recommend me to start doing and setting up my planning for the school year? Well, it all starts with mindset, right? And um, you have to really have a solid understanding of your why. Why do you want to make this shift? All right. What are you seeing that's causing you to move away from traditional grading? Because without that solid understanding of your why, it's very easy to fall into a trap of uh, thinking that you're changing things. And I, I know this from experience. So this happened at the beginning of this six year journey is, you know, you think you're doing all these wonderful things and, you know, they're better, but they're still rooted in some of these practices that weren't effective before. So uh, you have to keep going back to that why and analyzing what you're doing. Is it having the impact that you want? Um, the other thing that I would say is, um, and I mean, read my book and I, I hate saying that I don't like the self-promotion, but, and I don't have all the answers, but what we did in this book is we tried to answer every question 
that we had that we couldn't find answers to when we were going through this process. So, um, you know, we tried to make it a resource and, you know, we, we did a step-by-step guide and we go through how we did that, how we um, found what we valued, um, you know, how we created learning progressions. And like, it was very systematic. So if you're starting this, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, start with your why, find resources, get in touch with people who are doing it. Uh, I mean, I'd be happy to, to help anybody who's looking to, to go down this path. But um, once you have that why and you have an understanding of how you're going to start, not necessarily what your finished product is going to be, um, that's going to be key to communicating with your administration because having your administration as an ally, um, that is, without that, this will not work. No, definitely. And I, I think it takes a school community as well as that, that mindset to uh, begin this process because our society and education in, in the United States and I think most places around the world is based on this traditional mindset of traditional grades. And it takes a completely shift in that perspective uh, to implement something like this. Um, I do have a question before we get towards the end of our conversation. How were your students' reactions to the beginning of the process and as they've gone through the entire year with you? Because you're probably one of the only teachers that is gradeless at your site. Uh, yeah, no, that that's a, a true statement. We are, um, we're one of the few teachers that, um, there, we have a lot of teachers um, experimenting with alternate assessment. Um, nobody's doing quite what we're doing. So it's me and one other physics teacher, my co-author, Elise Burns. Um, and, you know, so it's a little different in the beginning when we started this, um, you know, we had a lot more pushback because it was clunky. It wasn't a polished, um, model, um, you know, and we didn't know how to communicate it as well as we do now. So students were a little confused. They still cared a lot about their grade and there was nobody who came before them. So they didn't know how this would end up. Um, now we have much less pushback from students and parents because we do a lot of proactive communication, but still in the beginning of the year, students are concerned about their grade. Um, as, as it goes on, they realize that, you know, they can accomplish their, all of their goals by focusing on learning. And, you know, we coach them, um, you know, by the end of the year, a lot of them say, I didn't like it at first, but now that I understand it, I really do like it. It took the pressure off. There's um, less unnecessary stress. Not that my class isn't stressful, but it's not, um, you know, just a, a mountain of work that you have to get through hoops that you have to jump through. It's productive stress. It's, you know, it, it's stress that leads to learning. So a lot of them do really enjoy the course by the end of the year. And um, I, I typically work with students that, don't see a future for themselves in science. So I'm, I'm not working with the students who want to be engineers, right? I'm working with the students who are taking science because we make them. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, you know, this relieves a lot of the pressure. They, there's, um, you know, a, a clear pathway through the learning for them, which they appreciate. No, definitely. And I mean, I think that 
like you said, it, with anything new that you're introducing into a your instruction or classroom uh, culture and routines, there's obviously going to be that adjustment period. And for certain students, it may be longer or shorter. So um, when you're giving, for example, um, I know um, physics, um, just I'm thinking of um, a lot of equations. I'm thinking about a lot of types of word problems. Are your assessments primarily performance-based? You don't do any multiple choice or is it just, uh, can you just give me just a little bit of an example of that? Cause I'm just curious. Yeah, sure. So uh, that's a great question. Um, when you're talking about assessment, assessment needs to mirror practice. So however students are practicing, that's the way they should be assessed. Yeah. And um, we work primarily with skills. All right. And we use content as the vehicle to teach those skills. We have the next gen science standards mm -hmm. and we use the science practices as the backbone for our learning progressions. And we broke them into three different categories. We have our lab skills, we have our test skills, and then we have our um, engineering skills and um, the lab skills. We teach them through labs. So we evaluate them through labs, right? Um, they'll, they'll do a lab. We'll have conversations throughout the lab and they'll do their lab reports. We practice those. And, uh, there's multiple opportunities. We provide feedback the whole way. And then those are assessed through, um, you know, through their lab reports, our test skills. We have four test skills, problem solving, which like you said, the, those are our word problems, the equations and we have um, everything we do is very systemized. It's mm -hmm. um, we have an approach to problem solving. So uh, we call it the, I guess, method illustration, given unknown equation, substitution, solution. And so where do you start if you don't know where to start? And, you know, kind of just giving them systems for understanding how to attack problems. So um, on our tests, we have problem solving, uh, creating explanations and making predictions, graph interpretation, graph creation. Not that they don't show up in other places. Those are the easiest ways to assess and provide constructive feedback to that they can use and then try again. So um, that's kind of what we did um, is we broke it down into where could we give the highest quality feedback that could be uh, implemented in you know, a way that made sense to students. And then our engineering skills, we do a project in every unit. And so now they're applying all those. Now, um, the biggest pushback that we get from people is where's the content? And it's embedded into our learning progressions. So they have to understand the content in order to progress through these progressions. And we, we assess that through our weekly checkpoints, uh, vocabulary checkpoints, that's knowledge and understanding. And we do that, it's different vocab um, for each unit, as well as the, um, the symbols, the units um, for each different topic that we do. So they're held accountable for the content, but um, most other courses are content driven and it's how much content do you know and they're not assessing the skills. We go the other way. We're using content as the vehicle and skills become the backbone of what would ultimately be translated to a grade. Um, and the reason we chose to do that 
is those skills spiral through every unit. We do a lab report in every unit. So um, if they're not proficient in it at, in September, it's okay because we're going to do that all the way through the year and we're not done until June, right? So they get to continue to practice and like the same thing with problem solving. It doesn't matter if they're doing problem solving with kinematics or if they're doing problem solving with work and energy, that skill is the same, just applied to a different context. Definitely. And I, I think that what I, I think regarding going grade list, to me, the best analogy I can make is actually performance um, assessments and work. You get, you get your yearly performance assessment and it's usually that descriptive feedback. Maybe it's on an overall rubric. And I mean, it's, you're getting that feedback and it's that delayed feedback at the very end of that point. And it all, it assesses all the skills that are associated with being productive on that job and helping that organization or company, whatever, to um, be successful. So I think, I mean, for me at least, um, if I'm trying to sell this to a school district or school, I would analogize this completely to um, job performance assessment. Yeah, absolutely. And your boss is still having those conversations with exactly. you daily or weekly, yeah. but they're not doing that summative evaluation till the end. Exactly. Exactly. It's an ongoing process. So um, I really, I really, I really like it. And um, a couple last questions before we uh, finalize our discussion is, is, is in terms of a lot of teachers may feel like the workload, is it just a can you talk a little bit about the workload and go well, for it? Well, okay. Yeah. So um, look, anything that we do as educators takes effort, right? And are you front loading that effort or are you putting that time in throughout the course of the year? And what we did is we chose to front load our effort. And a lot of my work takes place in the summer, but that means during the school year, I have a lot more time to spend with my family. You know, so um, I'm not going to say this is easy. I'm not going to say it's going to reduce your workload. I'm saying it's going to change where you put your energy. So what we did is we took our entire course and we just laid it out. We said, okay, here's everything that we need students to do in each unit. And then we kind of rearranged our sequence so that um, it would help us you had the episode on cognitive load theory yes all right and what we did is we rearranged our sequence so that we said okay we're not teaching them too many things at a time all right and this unit lines up really well with just teaching lab skills because there's not too many equations in it right so they don't have to worry about a ton of definitions they don't have to worry about a ton of equations they can just focus on lab skills and then we went to the next unit and said, okay, now here we can start doing um, engineering skills. So now we have their lab skills, which, you know, they've uh, at least become familiar with over that first unit. Then we move to the engineering skills in the next unit. And now that they understand how to do those things, now we can start bringing in our test taking skills and we can start um, incorporating some of the, uh, the problem solving and some of the explanations and have more sophisticated definitions because they're more proficient, right? Mm -hmm. So we just keep building them as learners. So we took a lot of time to resequence our course. 
And then we took time to align our assessments so that it was very clear, this is the skill that we're developing in this assignment. And this is the, the level. So um, what level of the learning progression are we targeting? So that's another key distinction between our model and standards-based grading. In our learning progression, um, you know, we have five uh, levels, beginning, um, beginning, developing, proficient, advanced, and expert. But at the beginning of the year, we're not showing them anything above developing. Right. So we're not saying, okay, here's everything. Here's where you land. We say, this is our target. All right. Okay, great. You hit the target. And so for those who have hit the target, we coach them to what the next target's going to be without that being the expectation. So, um, you know, we took the time to align our assignments, to resequence our course, um, to retool all of that. So our assessment throughout the year, I can turn around an entire class worth of tests in a period, right? So I put that, that effort up front to design it to where I can, I can look at it and say, okay, you know, here's, here's the feedback and it happens really quickly. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of whole class feedback mm -hmm. and I know people have moved away from whole class and because they just misunderstand like when and how to do it. It's like everything in education is a tool. How you implement that tool determines the impact of it. So, um, you know, people think giving descriptive feedback is overwhelming and it can be if you don't have systems in place. Um, you know, cause there's going to be common mistakes. Like if you find yourself writing the same comment on 24 papers, well, why not do a whole lesson on it to where you show the entire class, how to engage with that type of, um, you know, question or problem. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I feel like with this is that I, I feel like it can become a very efficient process, especially if you're more geared toward providing that whole um, class feedback and then spending time coaching up students that need that more personalized feedback or depending on where they're at on how well they did on that assessment. So I, I, I think it can be, like you said, you build the systems, a lot of front loading, and then throughout the school year, then it can be quite actually an efficient process. So moving on to the end of our conversation here, what are a couple, uh, just two, three tips that you have for uh, those teachers that want to begin their journey going gradeless. All right. So um, I would say I'm going to go back to that mindset, right? The first thing that you should do to find your why. All right. You have to have a firm understanding of why you're making this switch because it isn't easy. It's not, um, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's going to be a process. And some of the things that you do are not going to work. So you need to have that focus, not only for you to stay true to what you're trying to do, but to communicate to parents, to students, to admin. Um, so that would be my first tip. My second tip would be um, find somebody who is willing to take the journey with you. Right. If you have, um, I started on my own and then I was fortunate enough that Elise joined me the next school year. And, you know, that's when things started to get a lot easier for me because I had somebody to bounce ideas off of. Um, I only got so far on my own. Now, if you don't have a partner 
in your school, find a mentor, find somebody who's doing it. Twitter's a great place to do that. If anybody needs a mentor or somebody who's doing this to bounce ideas off of, contact me. I'd be happy to help. Um, you know, so that would be my second thing. Find somebody to work with. Um, and the last thing um, throughout the process, ask students how it's going, right? Get their input. They're the ones that you're designing this for. They will tell you if it's working or not. Right now, um, you have to build a culture where their feedback is valued, not to say that it's always taken, um, because sometimes the things that they want just aren't reasonable, but, um, you know, hear them, right? Ask them to speak, hear them, validate that they're actually, they have something of value to add to the class. And, um, that's something that we've done over the six years, every, um, every year at the, the mid-year and the end of the year, we actually take student feedback. We have surveys uh, on top of doing conferences and um, just like informal check-ins. And I, a lot of the changes that we've made to this model are suggestions that students have given to us. So talk to the students. They're going to be your best, uh, your best resource. No, those are all amazing tips. And I am in my practice, I am on that journey to go gradeless. So I will definitely um, be contacting you probably with questions. I'm going to be checking out your book. And where can our listeners find you on Twitter and your website? Sure. Um, so Twitter is just at David Frangiosa. Um, and then my website is reimagineschools.com. So um, on that website, you can find um, a checklist on a, a few infographics on how we went gradeless. And so that's basically an overview of everything that's in the book. We detail uh, all that stuff in the book. Um, we tried to make it as... Um, as useful a resource as possible for people who are looking to shift or people who are already doing something like that, that have plateaued. Um, and then like the, the blog I write, um, each of us, Elise writes a blog a month. I write a blog a month. Um, and I have the podcast, which each episode we, um, we try to tackle one topic. Uh, I try and make it quick, six to 10 minutes. Um, and then I have a couple of bonus episodes where we um, interview people from all different aspects of education. So um, yeah, you can find all that on the website and reach out to me on Twitter. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. I think this is an incredibly important discussion to have within K-12 schools across not only the United States, but around the world. And a lot of the research really does back this idea of going gradeless, if you read a lot of the feedback research and the assessment research that's out there now, it really does back this. So thank you so much for being here. And then until next time, listeners, we'll be having interviews throughout the summer and beyond, and hopefully you can come back again and again to get that really important professional learning that can help us navigate the present and future of education.